We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Now, I don't know if y'all can hear me. Am I coming across this thing today? All right, good, excellent. Hey, there was a hurricane that hit Louisiana. We don't have 10 years to put together an offering to send. We need it now. So guess what? We sent it now. We sent it a week and a half ago, and we, we fed a lot of people in Louisiana. And then there, were, there was another, uh, that same tropical storm hurricane, I don't know what it is, but it, it did a lot of damage in another country uh, that we're trying not to say their names now, but you probably know they're an island country. And we, we sent offering there. We, we couldn't wait 10 years. We, we need to do it now. So we sent a mighty offering and we're doing mighty things now. And you're part of it. Thank you for your giving. I'm so thankful for givers. Um, every once in a while, I get a little, uh, a little alert uh, about the giving. And I, I love to look down there and see brand new names I've never seen before come across that. All right. That is not a guilt trip. I'm just thanking you for your giving. I, 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 I've been in churches before where they like guilt trip people over giving. Like if we can make you feel bad enough, Rick, then maybe you'll give. You know what I'm saying? We're not that way around here at all. No, thank you for everything that you're giving. God's going to multiply it and God's going to do something mighty with it. That's what we believe. Excellent. Welcome everybody to Redemption Church. You did know you're at Redemption Church today, right? Online. Did you know it? You are in Plano, Texas at Redemption Church, and my name's Chris Fluitt, and I'm glad uh, to share the Word of God with you. We are in the fifth week, the final week of our series, Unseen Battle. Have you enjoyed the series? Anybody get anything out of it so far? Good, good. Uh, Let's look again one final time at our scripture memory verse, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This one verse of scripture has taught us so much over the past weeks, all right? God's good. He has been uh, teaching us so much. Uh, One thing is that we're in an unseen battle, a spiritual war. So we need to understand what spiritual warfare is. One more time, let's remind you. Spiritual warfare is a conflict in the unseen, angelic realm that is affecting the physical, visible realm. All right, do you believe in angels? Anybody believe in angels? All right, that's really crucial. I'm persuaded that everything that happens in the physical has a spiritual counterpart. And a large part of that spiritual counterpart is angels. Angels. Uh, There are angels unaware is one scripture that talks to us that, We're entertaining angels unaware. There is an unseen battle behind the battle you do see. So there's a battle you don't see. It's directly behind the battle you do see. Last week, we talked about the shiny one. Anybody remember the shiny one? Lucifer, basically, in that etymology of that word, means the shiny one. He was the shiniest of all the angels. He is the source of the battle. All the battles started in that Loser, lahu, zahur, as it says in the Hebrew. Tonight, we're going to continue this topic in a message I want to entitle, The Lesson of the Battle. Everyone said, The Lesson of the Battle. God is a teacher. You agree? Jesus is our rabbi. Rabbi is a Hebrew word for teacher. He always has something to teach us, God does, and it is wise to pray often that God would help you understand the lesson, right? I found that the tests are shorter if I understand the lesson. If I don't understand the lesson, I might see that test again. Anybody ever have to take a retest? Yeah, it's not as fun as they make it sound. It's not fun at all. No, a retest is not fun. If you will learn the lesson, you will pass the test and you will move on to another test. If you don't, you will have to retest. I presented last week a kind of a radical idea, the idea that Eden was a teaching lesson from God 
for Satan. I want you to know that you are part of God's lesson plan. God intends to use you to bring forth his lesson. Not God, God doesn't just want to teach you. He wants to use you to teach a lesson. And to see the lesson, we must understand the creation power structure. Can you say creation power structure? Could you say a little more nerdy like creation power structure? A little bit push up the glasses when you that's very good. Y'all are so obedient to your pastor. It's great. Who is at the top of the creation power structure? It is God, right? Very good, very good. He is at the top of every power structure hierarchy. If you have a flow chart, God is at the top. He's at the top. He is CEO. He is the very head of the, the board, right? Chairman, he is at the very top. If in, in a political sense, he would be whatever is the top political dog in your country, be a prime minister, be it a dictator, be it a president, all right? God is that. It is uh, this truth that is above every other truth. And if you don't understand this truth, your life is going to be a wreck. Right. There is none higher. This one God alone reigns supreme. God is uncreated. Do you agree? No one created the Lord, but he created all things. That's pretty good. I would put that on my resume if I could. If you could put that on your resume, I bet you'd get every job. You should give every job to this guy. He created all things. All right. This supreme God created other beings also, didn't he? Can you point in the room at at somebody, a person that he created? Yeah, yeah. Very good. He created. So he created human beings. But that's not all he created, is it? What else did he create? He created angels. Where did they go on this power structure? There is no such thing as a plain angel in Scripture. There's no such thing as an ugly angel in Scripture, all right? Uh, It's like ugly supermodel. It doesn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Excluding kicking personnel. It's like saying weak football player, right? Sorry, kickers, wherever you are. You, You get me on this. No, no, angels... There is not an ugly angel. The ugliest angel you could ever find would take our breath away. There is an angel in scripture that shows up to John, the revelator. John who walked with God. John who walked with Jesus. John who saw the throne room and he saw the lamb on the throne. John who saw the streets of gold, all the crazy, beautiful things of heaven, a rank and file, nameless angel shows up to him and John makes a mistake. John falls down and starts to worship the angel. It's in your Bible. And the angel's like, bro, no, no, you don't worship me. I'm not the Lord. That's in your Bible. I'm telling you that if you saw an angel, even though you know Jesus is the Lord, even though you know there's only one God, the Lord God who created us all, I'm telling you, angels are so beautiful that you might be drawn to fall down on your face and worship them. That's how amazing and breathtaking angels are. God created angels and he adorned them with beauty. We read last week in Ezekiel 28 where the shiny one, that is Lucifer, that's Satan, your adversary, was adorned with every precious material you could think of, right? Gold was just used for the mountings. That throwaway material, gold, right? Uh, Onyx was in there, emerald, topaz, jasper, and then words I totally messed up like lucili, is that it? Lapis lucili. Sorry, you can tell, Sarah. You can tell I've never bought that for my wife. All right. Uh, Basically, this enemy of ours, the shiny one, was a walking jewelry display. That's what he was. He was gorgeous. He's beautiful. And we taught last week that angels are made after the fashion of God's 
brightness, that God is only light and there's no darkness in him. God is described as a bright light throughout scripture and the angels are described in the very same way. Get a picture in your mind of what you think an angel looks like. Get a picture in your mind. Got it? Got that picture? All right. Now get ready to throw that picture away because it's worthless. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2. Above him, wait, let's get it. Want this. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2. There it is. Above him were seraphim, type of angel, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. And two wings, they covered their feet. And with two wings, they were a flappity, flap, flap, flying. The Hebrew says that. Verse 3. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Six wings. Six wings, yeah. Uh, There's another place where it says they have six eyes. Was that your picture of an angel? Did you have six wings and six, six eyes? It starts getting creepy when you start thinking about more than two eyes. You start turning into a, a spider a little bit, right? In my brain, right? They fly with two wings. They cover their face with two wings. They cover their feet with two wings. And their voice is nothing to sleep on, right? Their voice shakes the temple, it shakes the doorpost. You know, if you're ever in an earthquake, they tell you the safest place to go is in the doorpost of your house because it is the strongest structure. Well, guess what? Their voice shook the doorpost. The doorpost is about to cave in on itself at the sound of their voice. And then there's smoke, right? Now, now seeing an angel... Would you agree that sounds like an intense experience now after what we just read, right? That we're not talking some little Cupid baby with wings and little heart arrow. Ding. We're not talking about that little picture, whatever you've got of an angel. No, they are intense. And I don't think you would want to squabble with an angel, right? Can, props to a guy named Jacob who wrestled one all night, right? Well, so... After all this craziness, we just talked about angels right there in Isaiah 6. What really is an angel? Think about that. What really is an angel? If you were to define an angel, what is it? What kind of being is this? And I want to tell you uh, that they are really beyond the physical. We think so much in the physical, but I'm going to show you scripture in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 that they are beyond the physical. It says, are not all angels ministering Spirits, everyone say it, ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. So angels can appear in the physical. Is that in your scripture? Yes, yes, absolutely. They do physical things. They show up. Yep. One's going to blow a trumpet. Probably a physical trumpet as far as I understand, right? Or a shofar, whatever. Uh, Angels can appear in the physical But scripture says they're beyond the physical, they are spiritual. God created angels in a brightness that reminds us of who? Reminds us of God, right above them on the power structure. A beauty that reminds us of God. Also as spirits, right? That also reminds us of God who is a spirit. Angels are, are special, and I don't think any of us can deny that. Angels, they're special. Not all angels are created equal. I want to teach you this real quick about angels. Did you know this? Not all angels are created equal. This is yet another thing our scripture memory verse teaches us. Let's look back at it, Ephesians six twelve. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And then it's, it lists some things here. What it lists after flesh and blood is not flesh and blood. You get that. But against rulers, we're talking spiritual rulers. Against authorities, we're talking 
spiritual authorities, against the powers of this dark world, spiritual, and against the <laughs> spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. These rulers, authorities, powers, and forces are not flesh and blood. Paul is pointing us to a hierarchy within a spiritual realm. That is angels. Angels have a hierarchy. In earthly warfare, we understand a chain of command. We understand military ranks from the bottom to the top. What's that bottom rung in the military in the U.S.? Private, private. Then you got corporal. You, you, there's things in the middle, but I'll just hit the highlights. You got private, you got corporal, you got sergeant, you got lieutenant, you got captain, you got colonel, you got general. There it is. Moves up the, the chain of command. Well, guess what? That's on the earthly realm. These spirits known as angels also have ranks. We do not know all there is to know about their power structure inside uh, the angelic host. But we do know uh, there is a power structure. We, we, from our scripture, know that some angels are named, right? Can anyone name a named angel besides Lucifer? Gabriel, is there another one? Michael, those are very good, right? Uh, and Jude 9 calls Michael an archangel. Everyone say archangel. Uh, which seems to be a ranking within the angelic order. So there's this ranking, and some of them are named, and Michael is named an archangel. The best example of angelic power structure is actually found in Daniel 10. Let me blow your mind with this chapter right here. Daniel 10, let's bring that up, that verse, verse 5. I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Just your ordinary dude, right? Are you catching on that this is not a person like you and me? What, what might this be? Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. He's come. His, who is this? Someone help us. This is an angel. Where has he come from? The very throne room of God, where the prayers of Daniel were heard. All right? So, he came on the first day the prayer was heard. Did you see that? Since the first day. Reading on, verse, verse 13. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, didn't we just talk about Michael? He was a, what kind of angel? Archangel. One of the chief princes. Here he's called the chief prince. Came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. This angel shows up in Daniel 10 and he looks like a, a bad dude. Body of topaz, face like lightning, eyes of flaming torch, arms and legs of bronze, a voice like the sound of a multitude. The ancient Hebrew, I'm giving you a lot of ancient Hebrew, is actually the words bad dude, if you look it up in the Strong's Accordance. This angel is a bad dude. Do you understand that you would not want to mess with this angel? He could put you down so quick if you were trying to fight this spiritual entity. All right? Listen. The most healthiest humans have like 7% body fat. This angel had 100% muscle. I'm just 100% certain of that. This guy had abs all over his body. When his eyebrows went up, you saw abs up here. 
this bad dude, angel, was sent from where? The baddest place you can think of. The throne room. Sorry, I was being ironic with the term bad. I was like a Michael Jackson bad. We'll talk about that later. Bring them up right. The most awesome, amazing, powerful place you can think of is heaven's throne room. And this bad dude came from the baddest place you can think of. Does everyone understand that? With a message from who? From God himself. Remember God? Power structure. Where is God? At the top. This angel came from the big guy at the top with the message from the big guy. God is the one at the top of the creation power structure. God sent this bad dude angel, and yet the angel did not have the power or authority to overcome another spiritual force called the prince or the king of did you catch it? Persia. There was a demonic angelic force with a higher rank than the angel who was sent from God with the message for Daniel. And for how long was he held up? For 21 days, he is at the boundary being held off by another demonic angel. He didn't have the authority to get past this angel. This angel was above him on the power structure. It didn't matter what that angel looked like. It didn't matter that he was straight from God's throne. It didn't matter that he actually had the God-breathed message for Daniel. There was a power structure he couldn't get past. For 21 days, the angel from God with his message was detained from reaching its target. That angel was detained until one of greater angelic rank showed up. Who was that? It was Michael. Not just a prince, but a chief prince, it calls him. An archangel named Michael came, and his strength, position, and authority allowed that original bad dude angel to reach Daniel. It's only when a greater angel showed up that the original angel was allowed to get past the prince or the king of Persia. Is everyone following me here? It's okay if you're not because you're like, what? It is okay to be what about this story because if you don't know this, this is huge stuff. You see, all angels look like bad dudes to us. There is no angel that's not impressive. But some of them are badder than others. Some of them have rank. When it comes to rank, it could be that the shiny one, our adversary, the devil, is actually the top-ranking angel. I think it is plausible and highly likely that the top-ranked angel is actually our enemy. So I want you to imagine this. Here's God. He's at the very top. Imagine if the one right below him is your enemy, the shiny one. The one that all the other angels looked up and said, gosh, none of us are as pretty as he is. My legs only look like bronze. His legs look like platinum. Lapis lazuli. There it is. When it comes to rank, it could be that the shiny one, our adversary, the devil, is the top ranking angel. Imagine this. If it weren't for God, If God ever went on a vacation like some who are agnostics think. If God ever just went away. If God were the clockmaker that walked off uh, with a wound up world. And if God, if anything were to happen to God, that top ranking angel, the shiny one, would do whatever he wanted to do. And there would be no one or nothing that could stop him. Would that be the worst thing ever? My goodness, I'm telling you, that is the worst thing ever. Whatever you think about politics and who may or may not get elected or or, or what war will break out or God God forbid or if the Eagles won the NFC East or something like this, 
I don't care what it is you're worried about in the world. That would be the worst thing in the history of history. God is supreme. That's the power structure. Thankfully, he's not going anywhere. God is in his heaven, right? And all is right with the world. You've heard that quote before. Listen, not all's right with the world at all. But let me tell you, that first part I'm pretty psyched about. God is still in his heaven. There's God. He's supreme. And then there is angels. And then God creates who? He creates man. So where does man show up? Now, before you put the next slide up, where do you think man is on this creation chart? Humanism would place man above God. That's what humanism does. Humanism runs rampant in our world today. Or it would replace God entirely. It would just come up, scratch out God, and write me. Right? That's what human is. humanism uh, is teaching us. We do not believe that. We know that it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 100, verse 3. So where do you think man fits and do you have a scripture that tells you? Are you just guessing or do you have a scripture that tells us? There is a scripture Hebrews chapter 2, 6 through 7, it says, What is mankind that you are mindful of him, a son of man that you would care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. So when we look at the creation power structure, where's man? Man's lower than The angels. That's where we are. What does that mean for us as humans? Well, we're in a war with invisible spiritual beings beings who absolutely have more power than we do. They are made of precious stones. We are made of dust. They are born eternal creatures. We are born finite. They are spirit. We are flesh just preparing to turn back into dust. You are no match for an angel. The lowest angel far surpasses any number of humans. Put all the humans on the earth, one angel could wipe them all out. I believe that with everything. Looking at this power structure, how is it possible for us to win this war? (laughs) How sad is this? Think about this. It, It is sad enough to make Maybe somebody cry. Here we are. We've got this enemy we cannot beat. In fact, it is sad enough. It could make someone in heaven cry. Everybody knows there's no crying in heaven. Make them read Revelation chapter 5 verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne. That's God. A scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Verse 3. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. This power structure is sad enough to make people in heaven cry. I want to talk to you about the lesson of the battle. For any of you who have ever wondered why, why did God send a lower-ranked angel to fight a higher-ranked angel? God, why would you do that? Why not just make the lower angel angel stronger? We all like an underdog story. Why not make the lower angel stronger and then send him and then have him, you know, beat up the other angel, beat up the bad angel so that the good guy wins? Why? Why do you do it that way, God? Why don't you just snap your fingers like Thanos and just remove the devil? 
Who would do that if they could? Oh, me. Me in, a, in an instant. I'd do that. I might snap some other people with him. I don't know. Just kidding about that sometimes. Why not just make us better than the angels, God? You know, you've, you've got control over the power structure. Why not just make us better on day one than the angels? We, we could have been better than the angels and just kicked them aside in the Garden of Eden and stomped the crud out of them from the very beginning. Why? Well, because God is a teacher. And this is the lesson of the battle. Are you ready? Class is in session, and the Lord will be our teacher today. Scripture is clear that God sent his son into the world to save the world. Do you agree? Scripture is clear that Jesus is more than just a man, but is God himself come into the world. Say amen. I want to know you know it. So guess what? So where would this Jesus fit in the power structure? Let's get that power structure up. God, angel, man. Well, you're, you're ahead of the, if this wasn't here and we had it in the right order, where would Jesus fit in that power structure? You would try to put him above the angels, right? So he could just beat them. Or at least even let them fight it out. Fight club, right? Angel fight club? No. It would make sense for God to make someone a little better than the top angel so that they could just end the struggle. He could have made a new number two most powerful being in the universe and moved down the shiny one one position. He could have done it, but there is no lesson in this. If God were to do that, there is zero lesson, and God the teacher has something to teach us all. Instead, this is where God the Father places Jesus within the power structure. Bam, right there. He places him among men, but not just among men, the most humble. A man that no one would look twice at. Jesus entered the world not as an angel, but as a man. Jesus did not enter the world as a king. Jesus did not enter to the world waving a flag or banner that declared himself to be God and to be worshipped. That's why a lot of people have trouble going, well, Jesus never even proclaimed himself to be God. Well, if you study it, you will find that that's not actually true. But Jesus did not ever wave it like a banner of, here I am, bow down and worship me. He came low. He came humble. He came in a manger. He came, he wasn't visited by kings, but by shepherds. That's who visited him on the night he was born. Jesus, God, robed in flesh, entered the world as a man child, born under the most humble and lowly conditions. God enters the world down here. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 9. Look at it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty might, so that you through his poverty might become rich. God became poor. This is counterintuitive. It's not how you draw it up. Not my game plan, but it's God's lesson plan. God, God, I didn't think we needed you to send a rescuer that was poorer than us. I wouldn't have done that, Lord. God became weak. God, I don't really think that we need a weak hero. I am plenty weak already. That's the problem. The problem's I'm weak already. Why would you send a weak hero? God who created everything, can do everything, and knows everything, somehow came to save us by sending us nothing. Some of you might pause at that word. Why would you say that? Nothing. Because it's what Philippians chapter 2 and 6 says about our Jesus. Who being very nature God. 
Jesus is not kind of God, a little God. If you squint, he kind of looks like God on a Tuesday if the light is just right. No, he is the very nature of God. He is God in a bod. Someone say God in a bod. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I want you to understand this. God came in a human body. It's Jesus Christ. But he did not use his deity, his divinity, his godness, his absolute omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotence to his advantage. I think that's a poor idea. Can I be real with you? No. Please, God, use it to your advantage. We're begging you to use it to your advantage. You're God. Now you're here. Now you're going to show us how strong you are as a human. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm going to die on a cross. No, I'm not. I'm going to be rejected. No, I'm not. One of my best friends is going to betray betray me. Jesus is God. Down to the very nature of what makes God, God. Just like you have like a DNA and it's kind of like who you are. It's like, like who you are is like down to the very code of who you are. If God had a code we could look at, it would be the same code that is Jesus. He's that much God. He's equal to God. And yet, Jesus, as God, lives a legitimate human life on earth. He doesn't cheat. You and I would cheat. He doesn't cheat. He could have said, you know, when it's, when it's hard, I'm going to use the Konami cheat code, and I'm not going to feel the pain. No, he felt the pain. You know, when I'm hungry, you know, I'm just going to call on the angels and they'll take care of me because I have control over all the angels. Nope, doesn't do that. He even faces the shiny one face to face and doesn't use his power and his authority over the devil. He lets the devil fight him, tempt him, attack him. Oh, man. In his life on earth, Jesus Christ does not use his divinity. He does not use his deity. He doesn't use his godness to his advantage. He operates as another human like you or me. Verse 7, Philippians chapter 2. Rather, he made himself, somebody say it. He made himself nothing. We wanted this super human Captain America, Hulk with a little bit of Thor and the gadgets of Tony Stark, right? Then what we got was a guy who made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross here. What is going on here, God? And don't you know, if Abraham could tell what was going on, he had to be like, say what? If David had a a light and could see what was going on on earth, he had to go, no, 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 no. This is not right. This is not right. No. I remember the first time I showed my kids the movie uh, Infinity War. And it's this epic battle, and you're fighting Thanos the whole time, and you're getting to the end, and there's superheroes everywhere, and my kids are loving it, they're loving it, and then out of nowhere, Thanos has this gauntlet on his hand, and he actually snaps, and Thanos disappears, and then suddenly, you start seeing your favorite superheroes, one by one, drop to nothing, and they flake to nothing, and one moment, they're there, and one moment, they're gone, And I remember there was a moment one of my children said, wait, the movie's not over, is it? What? The the credits were rolling. He's like, no, no, it can't end this way. My hero can't end 
this way. I'm telling you, David told us about a hero, and it did in this way. Abraham prophesied of a hero, and it did in this way. The prophecy promised that the, that the head would be crushed of that serpent. It was given to Eve, but it did not turn out this way. Why? It's because it's a lesson. It's a lesson. It's a lesson. And the lesson's partly for you, but really the lesson's for somebody else. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not, the things that are nothing to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Stick with me. God created Adam in a garden. Say amen if it's true. Adam and Eve fell prey to a lying angel. Say amen if it's true. When they sinned in the garden, they lost all of their dominion over the earth and they fell victim to death, hell, and the grave. Say amen if it's true. Sin entered the world by the man named Adam. That's what Romans 5.12 says. Everyone in the line of Adam has met the same fate. If you could trace your lineage, you'd go back to that man, Adam, and you have the exact same fate. The people you love have the exact same fate. We are all powerless and on our way to experiencing death, then a grave, and then hell forever. That is every single one of us. But Jesus, his father is not Adam. Jesus is not in the lineage of Adam. Do you see this? This is why this is important. Jesus' physical father was not a man, but was God. Who else could say that? Only the original Adam could say that. Only the Adam born in the Garden of Eden could say, God is is my true father. And now Jesus showing up as another Adam can say the same thing. God is my true father. Do you see this? Stick with me. Paul refers to Jesus as the last Adam in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. There is a first Adam became a living being, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Name that last Adam. Somebody say his name. Jesus Jesus is the last Adam. Jesus is the son of God. I want to give you some clarity right here. When the demons saw the man named Jesus, they did not recognize God in flesh. They never say Jehovah God. They never say, look, it's God in human flesh. They never say that. What do they say? Instead, they screamed, son of God. They screamed the word, son of God. And we've all went and said, oh, they recognize the deity of Christ. Wrong. Wrong. That's not it. Well, here's what they were recognizing. The demons recognized Adam as he was before he fell into sin in the garden. They recognized him as that same Adam who had never sinned, who still had dominion over all things. And they called that Adam, that original Adam in garden, he was the son of God. And now there is another man walking around who makes us feel exactly what we thought was gone forever. And so they scream out at Jesus and call him the son of God. They recognize he is another Adam. That his father is not an earthly father, but God in heaven. Sin entered the man, entered the world through Adam. But Jesus is not in the line of Adam. 
They sensed in the man, Christ Jesus, something they thought they defeated long ago. They sensed in Jesus Christ a man in perfect harmony with God. He was sinless and he was perfect, just like the man Adam before he tasted of that fruit. When they saw another Adam, they thought, well, we'll be friends with this guy. Is that what they thought? No, they thought we destroyed the first one. We're going to destroy this one. God, we destroyed your first Adam. Get ready to cry, God. We're going to make you feel it again. We're going to defeat him. And when we defeat him, it will be our way of defeating you. We're going to trick him, this man named Jesus, this son of God. We're going to trick him just like we tricked Adam, just like we tricked Eve. They thought this shouldn't be too hard because we've done this before. And after all, he's just a, after all, he's just a man. I want to tell you, angels have no respect for you. So sorry, your guardian angel. I don't think he has much respect for it. Sorry. They do rejoice when we repent. I know that. But after all, that power structure, you're way down there. After all, this Jesus, he's just a man. Little did they know that Jesus is more than a man. Little did they understand the links that God would go in his love to rescue a lower creation. That's what they really didn't see. They didn't understand that God would lower himself past angels all the way to mankind and put on dirt for skin and walk around us. They couldn't fathom that level of love. They never saw it coming. They did not see it coming. The revelation that the man Jesus is God is to never be treated lightly. The man Jesus is God. Because he is God, the man is God, you can always know that God loves you because herein is love that Christ died for us while we are yet sinners. No greater love has a man than this, than a man laid down his life for a friend. And because he's God, you can always know God loves you. God loves you. But today, can I turn that revelation around? Can I tell you the revelation that God would become a man is the best lesson of this battle? Not that man was God, but that God was man. That's what changes everything. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. This is a verse. If they have highlighters, this is a verse that ought to get marked up in your Bible. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn... Over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Now here's the deal. When you read this. You're thinking about God. You're reading it wrong. This is about the man. Who is God? As a man, the son is the image of the firstborn. Through a finite man, he is the firstborn of all creation. Through a finite man, all things God has chosen to create through a man. This is about the man. This is about the son. This is about the firstborn. That which is created Lower than the, help me, angels, Angels, bingo. That's the lesson. This is the lesson. Yet this man was created with him, has uh, everything was created with him in mind 
and even created through the man, Christ Jesus. Verse 17. He is before all things. The man I'm talking about. And in him all things hold together. Talking about the man, Christ Jesus. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the man, Christ Jesus. So that in everything he might have, somebody help me with the last word, supremacy. What does supremacy mean? It means you're above, you're at the top. It means that there is no one above you. It means that you are at the height. Jesus Christ, the man, has supremacy. Can we look at that power structure again? Because this changes everything. This is our problem. This is the creator. But now he's down here. As a man, and as a man, he has risen and won the supremacy. Not as God. As God, he already has the supremacy. But as a man, anybody in here ever won the supremacy? The original Adam, did you win the supremacy? What about you, Moses? Did you win the supremacy? Any of those prophets ever win the supremacy? Any of those apostles ever win the supremacy? No man. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Except one guy. Except one guy. And he as a man never sinned. He as a man has risen from the dead and has... Somebody help me. He's got the supremacy. Hmm... Jesus is God, but I want you to understand, it was as a man that he was born into the world. It was as a man he stared the shiny one in the eyes and defeated him with three words, it is written. It was as a man he was tempted in every way but remained holy and without sin. It was as a man he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but Romans 8.3 says he condemned sin in the flesh. It was as a man he poured out his blood. It was as a man he breathed his last on the cross. It was as a man he was buried in a grave. It was as a man he descended into the place where those apart from God are all to go in punishment. It was as a man he descended into hell. When that happened, the devils threw a party. They're like, we did it. High fives all around. We're two for two. We killed the first Adam. Here's the second Adam. We finished him too. And they're all going to the same place. But three days later, it was as a man, he busted out of hell with the keys of hell. It was as a man, he defeated the law of sin and death. It was as a man, he came back to life and the stone was rolled away. It was as a man, he ascended into the sky and kept going till we couldn't see him any longer. And the next thing we read about him, he is in the very throne room of God. He is at the very supreme place. He is in the very throne of God. As God? No. As a man. It was as a man. It was as a man. It was as a man he won the supremacy over how much? Everything. It was as a man he won every one of our battles. He defeated all of our struggles. Not as a God, but as a man. As a weak, frail man. We need to change the creation power structure. We need to put Jesus Christ in the most supreme place in our power structure. The man who is made lower than the angels, Jesus Christ, he has the supremacy in everything. He has the supremacy, that scripture says. Don't you know power-hungry angels hate this sermon? 
can't you see the faces of the enemy of your soul? He's angry as you know what because a man has supremacy over him. Can you see the moment where every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and it's a declaration that Jesus Christ has put everything under his feet. The devil is going to be there for that moment. His knee is going to bow. His tongue is going to confess that a man is supreme. Bible says over and over that Jesus Christ is risen, right? He's risen. And we, when we say that risen, we're usually talking about he's risen out of the grave. He doesn't stop there. He, ris- he rises all the way to his rightful place on the throne of the Lord. Scripture says that after he has put everything under his feet, he turns to God, his father, who he is the exact nature of and equal with. And he hands the kingdom over to God. And then Jesus walks into the kingdom. And he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm your brother. I'm that man who died for you. I love you. It's as a man. Satan can't contemplate this. He doesn't get it. He wants to sit on the throne of God. But somehow God wants to walk on the earth with man. You're loved. You're that loved. Jesus Christ has risen to the highest place and is given authority. Those that follow him, those that love his name, those that are filled with his life-giving spirit, they are raised with Christ. And where do they sit? They sit in his throne in heavenly places. We studied that in this series. That's why we're allowed to sit in heavenly places. It's not because you earned it. We are not supreme. It's that there is a man named Jesus who is supreme. And he has won every victory. Hallelujah. You have won the victory. Death could not hold you down. You are the risen king. Seated in majesty. You are the risen king. Now imagine... This is a lesson that your enemy doesn't know yet. He doesn't get it yet. It's a mystery to him. Jesus Christ is supreme over your enemies. All of them. All of them. Jesus makes you supreme over all your enemies. When does this happen? Now. It happens now. You don't have to wait for a trumpet to ring, blow for him. To have supremacy, he has it now. And because he has it now, you have it now. You are not waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to win another battle. He has already won the battle. He has already won. The devil's just too dumb to even know it. This means you should be walking in victory. Now. That means you should be walking in supremacy. Not like I'm better than other people. But like Peter walked on the water, you know, there's a storm around him, but he just walks on top of the storm. The storm doesn't affect him because he's got his eyes on the one who's supreme. You can walk on your drug addiction. You can walk on your depression. You can walk on your shame and your guilt. You can walk over every sickness. You can walk over it all. You can walk on top of every struggle. Why? Because the one you've got your eyes on has already won. In fact, he's he's putting everything under his feet. So start putting everything under your feet. Get to walking. I want you to get ready to come talk to God today. I think we need to worship a supreme Jesus today. I think we need to put some things in our life under his subjection. And we need to put him. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214 214-
856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.